So what is your strategy for productivity? What is your strategy for productivity? Is it just like showing up to work on time? Because actually you stand out if that's the case, right? Lots, lots in this day. We have some business owners I'm looking and, and people in business. You're just looking for some employees who will actually be faithful in attendance. Well, that's really great. I, I, I encourage you to continue to do that. But we want to go, we want to go further. We want to go much further. I believe God wants to do much more in us. He wants to, as I, I heard this week, we need to remember that Christ works in us before he works through us. That's really helpful. Think about that. Christ works in us before he works through us. And so the big question for all of us today, has Jesus come into our life through faith in him? You'll never experience all that you could do to be productive for his glory without, without knowing Jesus. One of my big prayers for you is not just your productivity, but your conductivity, your connectivity to Jesus Christ. Because he says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. John 15, 5, Jesus says, if, if you abide in me, my words remain in you, abide in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing, Nothing that really lasts. And this is why I could teach you about work habits and time management. I'll leave that to some great books, to some suggestions. Tim Challies has a great book called um, what, uh, what, what, uh, Do More Better. And then Matt Perman in his book, What's Best Next. Those are really great books. They go beyond Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People because they, they emphasize a purpose beyond that and finding meaning in our work through, through Jesus Christ. Another tip I could give you is that six-by-six six approach that you need to think about the next six things that you need to do over the next six weeks. And then when you knock off the top one, you add the, another one. So you're always being effective and prioritizing your life. However, I want to go today beyond just teaching you time management and work habit strategies. I want to give you a strategy for productivity that will not only make you effective, but will help you navigate the ever-increasing dangers in the workplace. And some of you say, well, John, there are dangers in the workplace? Like, isn't the government taking better care of us than ever? There's lots of new safety measures in place. Yes, and I'm thankful for that. If you've traveled around the world, you'll see that there's, there's uh, we live in a country that has, has much safety in, in the workplace. But what I'm talking about is the real and present spiritual danger in the workplace, whether it be at home or school or our jobs. And you might be wondering what those present and real and present spiritual dangers are in those workplaces. And I have five that I came up with. So here are five spiritual dangers in the workplace. Number one, being treated as a human doing rather than a human being. Does your employer just teach you, treat you as somebody that is somebody that they can get the most out of rather than what they can invest in? Do you often just feel like a machine? People don't acknowledge your worth. Well, I would remind you today that we are human beings. And as human beings, as God created human beings, the first job that they were to do was to find rest and relationship in him. Day six of creation, uh, after day six of creation, what did God do? He rested, right? And so the first 
job that Adam and Eve did was they, they rested. And out of that, that rest and out of that relationship, they worked. And so that's an important rhythm that you work from your rest, not, not to your rest. We're made to work from our rest in relationship to God. Second danger is this, spiritual danger is thinking that remuneration is the ultimate reward. I mean, all of us today like to be paid, right? Right? But there's a real danger to your reward as your pay and benefits, rather than thinking the real payoff is what you can invest in others and what you can benefit in others. And I'm looking at some, and some of you actually are, are doing extra work that you're not getting paid for, and it's life-giving to you, right? It's, it's something that you rejoice in, whether that's here at the church or out in the community. I'd remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 24, which says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Many of us have been in the workplace long enough to know that as much as you appreciate a, a fair salary that enables you to provide for your family, we also know that money loses some of its motivation when we're trying to work so hard to spend time with our family in the future once we're to retire, and yet we're missing them right now, right? And so it goes beyond just being driven by money. A third spiritual danger is similar, overworking at the expense of health and home. If we forget that one of our greatest contributions we make on earth is to our, our friends and to our family, that we must not sacrifice them on the altar of success and achievement. Satan loves to distract us with lesser priorities. Daniel Henderson puts it this way, which our, our leadership team heard this week. Satan loves to use weapons of mass distraction. Mass distraction. And most of the distraction, maybe at least in my life and, and maybe in your life, is, are these, right? Our phones, our screens. So that's the third danger of overworking at the expense of health and home where we can't even get away from work. We bring this everywhere. We bring, home work with, we bring work home with us. Another spiritual danger in the workplace is just the temptation to compromise our integrity and values. I'm guessing that right now some of you are facing the dilemma and you're being pressed hard to do the wrong thing and you think, man, this is going to cost me. And it could cost you. May I remind you of Jesus' practical words on priorities from Matthew chapter 26, verse 16. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his life or soul? Let Jesus' words be your guide. Do not compromise. Do the right thing always. And this leads me to the worst spiritual danger of the workplace, not being known as a Christ follower. Right now, I know your morals are being squeezed, and it's highly unpopular to be a Christian despite Justin Bieber and Kanye West coming out as Christians, right? But the question is, do people know? Do people know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ at work? Jesus is the most important person in your life, right? Do they know that? I know it's scary. I mean... I hardly ever lead with that I'm a pastor because people are allergic to pastors, right? They think we're going to start preaching at them. I only preach once a week. Well, maybe at home a little bit, right? 
here's what I'd say to you, and I, I've been there. I get nervous telling others about my, my relationship with Jesus, but Romans 1.16 has been such a powerful, courageous verse in my life. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's for everybody, this good news. It's given me great courage. Another massive motivating verse for me is, is Jesus' words, straight from the lips of Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. I mean, it's great to, to get that award at work, and it's great to get those grades, isn't it? But as much as your teachers and your principal and your, your employer can give you accolades, don't you long to hear from our Heavenly Father? Welcome, son. Welcome, daughter. We love you. We want, we're, we're glad that you're here. You've, been, you've done well. Think about that. Our master and co-worker and father for all eternity acknowledges us. Now, when I talk about letting people know that you follow Jesus, I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about doing on company or school time. No, you're supposed to be good, the best employees you possibly can be. But we should be wholly different and speak up for the good news of Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit prompts us, when the God inside of us, the Holy Spirit prompts us. So those are five spiritual dangers in the workplace that I, I have, I have uh, observed. Do those make sense to you? Do you agree with those? Now, I surveyed you this, this week, and it was frankly overwhelming. 53 of you gave us insights. We can't go over all of those spiritual dangers that you came up with. I've, I've listed some, and we've, we've categorized them. And so here, see if you can identify with any of these at work. Gossip. Envy of coworkers. Intrusion of work into home life. Lack of job satisfaction. Complacency. That came up time and time again. People just don't care. Pride, office politics, um, business cover-ups, perpetual lying, shady deals, micromanagement, and lack of trust by bosses, being undervalued and underpaid. I'm not asking for any hands today who put that one, okay? Discrimination, both racial and religious. Team-building exercises that are new age meditation sessions. Sexual morality. Judgment, self-importance, temptation to be slothful. Wow. Apathy, laziness, not having the right attitude and tone of a Christian, thinking that coworkers are just too nice to be broken and lost and in need of Jesus. With all these dangers, do you see why we're building a community center for Christ here where the church can gather and can worship God and encourage one another? We need this. So with all these spiritual dangers in the workplace, does it not make sense to have a strategy for productivity that will last for all eternity? We encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, verses 15 through 23. Uh, you can look this up on your smartphone. Just Google it. If you don't have it, you can look up in your hard copy of God's Word. And we're going to find a strategy for eternal productivity. 
And as you're turning there, let me just recap. So what's happening here? There's a guy named Nehemiah. He lived during the, the Persian Empire. In fact, he was, he was probably the most trusted man in the whole empire because he was cupbearer to the king. And as a cupbearer to the king, he was the last line of defense against poisoning and against assassination. And so he would, he would drink and taste whatever food was coming the king's way. And so you had to really trust this guy. And he did an excellent job because he was still alive, right? And so was the king. And so he was doing excellent at work. And then he got news that, that his fellow Jews were in trouble. And so this, this, this guy named Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, equivalent to maybe... Um, Gerald Butts, he was uh, the uh, friend of the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Trudeau, and we should pray for Gerald Butts' salvation and his influence in government. Maybe he could be a man like Nehemiah who cares for those who are hurting and, and what lays in ruins in God's economy might be restored. But as we think about Nehemiah, here's this, Nehemiah goes to the king and says, I need a leave of absence. I need to go take care of my people back in Jerusalem. And by the way, king, you're the one who stopped the project, but could you also fund the project? And the king has the audacity to do this because God's favor was on Nehemiah. And so it's from today's passage in Nehemiah 4, verse 15 through 23, it demonstrates a strategy for eternal productivity. Would you please stand with me out of the reverence of the reading of God's word? God wants, we're, God wants to speak to us today. And here's what... What he says, and I'm, I'm going to get you to read or try to say verse 15, because this was our memory verse for the month of October. When our enemies heard, okay, I'll, I'll continue. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears and shield and bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. I know Scott, our, our general contractor, is here, and I haven't seen any of your workers with a spear. This shovels, okay? <laughs> Goes on and says in verse uh, 18, And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built, and the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. And here's my favorite verse. What does it say? You didn't say that with much passion. What is it? Okay, we got to do it one more time. The Guelph Griffins would do that louder, right? So let's do it one more time. Our God, what? So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of God for us today. You may be seated. If I could summarize this passage, it would be this. God uses our prayer, our protection, and our productivity to make peace and to get his job done. 
and get his work done. I want to clarify. Now, does God actually need our help? No, he actually doesn't need our help to get his work done. But he invites us to join us in his work. It's an awesome privilege where we get to see how God uses our prayers and, and our protection of other people and our productivity, our hard work to keep peace and get his work done. Let's start with the context and we'll see how God uses our prayer first. Prayer is a big thing, especially in the book of Nehemiah. Starting in verse 4, when, remember I told you Nehemiah heard about this bad report about his people were like in great shame and the, the city of Jerusalem was, was in ruins. And the first thing he does as he starts praying. Look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. It says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then the whole rest of the chapter 1 is this one big long prayer to God. Jump to chapter 2, verse 4. And remember I told you Nehemiah went to the king and he, he sought permission for that leave of absence. And in verse 4, when the king saw that Nehemiah was sad, it says, the king said to me, what are you requesting? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now he'd been praying for like three or four days, but he still prays another prayer. We don't stop praying. We don't cease without praying. And then look in chapter four. Look at chapter four, verse, um, verses four and five. Here's another prayer of Nehemiah. After hearing about the enemies and how they were coming against him, it says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And, and so this prayer becomes contagious. Jump down to verse 9 of chapter 4. And we prayed to our God. It's all the whole, all the Jews are now praying. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So prayer it was a really big thing. Prayer always should be our first step. That's why prayer has been such a theme this year and will be every year at Temple Baptist Church. We created a prayer mobilizer position this past year in Winnie Hodgins along with her prayer action team. This is why I went through prayer coaching this summer to teach us how to pray more corporately, which we've been doing more. And some of you are like, it's weird praying all together. But isn't it awesome to hear how people, people's burdens and, and praying to God? It's why our first our first step of our building project of recreating our property is our prayer room. We want this to be a, a place where people come and pray. It's why we had a women's prayer workshop a week Saturday. Ago, Saturday. It's, a, it's why some of our leadership went to hear Daniel Henderson, a leader in prayer this past week. And many of our leadership team are actually traveling to Chicago tomorrow to take part in the Chicago Tabernacle. That's a daughter work of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Maybe you've heard of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Part of their Tuesday night prayer meeting where it's just packed out. It's why we have prayer meetings here on Wednesday nights. We want to be a house of prayer for all nations because God uses our prayers. We're saying, God, we are needy. We need your help. We need you to act. That's how we, we go to him and he gets his work done. So if, if today all you do is you go away and you pray more, it's a banner day. It's a big win for the kingdom if you pray more. But there's more than prayer. There's protection and productivity. Nehemiah 4, verse 15. Now we're into our passage. And, and this is our verse for the month of October. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. 
Prayer may be the start line, but it's not the finish line. Some of us have been praying, and I say continue to pray. But now it's time to actually grab the shovel, right? It's time to grab the shovel and start working. And many of you have done that. A few weeks ago, there was, there was an all-out call to say everybody has a job to play in God's restoration project. And you, you signed up, and we had a wall full of, of your names and what you signed up for. And it's been awesome. And, and thank you for all those people who have helped out this week with the groundbreaking. It's time to, to get off our knees and use our hands and continue to pray. We must all each return to our work and assignment that God has given us in his restoration project. So do you know what God has called you to do on this earth to make a difference? Do you know your purpose here? This work involves protection and productivity. Look at verse 16. Look at what verse 16 says. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. Now some of you are like, I want to be the construction person. Another's like, oh man, I want, no, no, no. I don't want a shovel. I want a spear, right? I want to, I want to go out there and I want to defend. It says, and the leader stood behind the whole house of Judah. They had their backs. I love that. Look at verse 4, 17. He goes on to say, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Aren't you glad we live in Canada where that doesn't have to be the case? Like, I've traveled around the world in many places around the world. You have to have a weapon on you when you go to work. It's a gun, a machete, something, because you're going to be attacked. Do you know how hard it is to do your work when you just know that you're going to get attacked? There needs to be a level of protection. It's hard to work when you know you're going to be attacked. And this is why schools now have locked doors. And companies have fences and security guards. It's why we have our plan to protect. And security plan in place here at Temple for our children, the most vulnerable. That's why for you parents, especially you who are here, you had, you had to get one of those stickers, right, for your kids. It's important. We want to be a safe place. We know how important that is for this next generation. What I love about this strategy for productivity is the last, the last phrase in verse 20. Our God will fight for us. We can put all the security and measures in place, but guess what? God is our protector. Do you believe that today? As Derek Kidner insightfully reminds us, the threats had a bracing effect. In fact, have you ever been in the situation where you, you know something's coming? You kind of just brace for it. Well, that's what happened here. That's what happened to the Jews, God's people. They weren't paralyzed from doing work. We have a choice. Did you realize that? When we face opposition, we can be paralyzed and go, oh, I'm so afraid. I'm just going to live anxious. What's going to happen? I don't know if I'm going to make the cut. I don't know if I'm going I'm I'm to succeed. Or we can say, God, but by your grace, I go with your strength. I'm going forward. I'm moving forward. To move ahead is how we weaponize prayer. Now, I'm not calling for violence. I'm calling just for the opposite. In fact, these spears and shields and bows and coats of mail acted more as a deterrent like a mini cold war than being led to war. 
Nehemiah's intention was to avert war and get the job done. He wanted to build the wall, not build an army. See, a war between the provinces and the Persian Empire would be regarded as a serious threat. And that would, have, that would have found its way back to the ears of the king. And he would have said, what's going on, Nehemiah? You're in charge. And now there's all these skirmishes. Instead, Nehemiah used the army to keep peace. That was his job. And you know what? It's our job. It's our job, too, to keep peace. Didn't Jesus say that? We heard this week, there's really three choices, three types of people. There are peace breakers. You know those people who are always like agitating, they love to break peace. Maybe it's that kid at school, that, that person, the coworker. There's also, there's also peace keepers. And they try to not deal with the problem and just try to keep the peace. But then there's people who seek reconciliation. They make peace. And Jesus actually gives them a blessing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, we learned this this summer. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Children of God. Children of God. If you are a peacemaker, then one of the, that's one of the identities of being a child of God. You should be known that for that. So who do we need to protect so that they can continue in God's work? Who do we need to help reconcile one to another? It's a pressing question in our lives. Recall that God uses prayer and protection and productivity to keep peace and get his work done. And finally, we see the productivity in verse 21. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. In other words, these were like long days from dusk until, or from dawn until dusk. Now, we know that this, this occurred in the land of Palestine, in the Middle East. And so that's very much near the equator. And if you've traveled and been near the equator, right, the sun comes up every single day at the same time. Six o'clock in the morning. Sets at 6 p.m. It's 12, 12 hours of daylight. And so they had long hours. But the work didn't stop for some. They were assigned night watchmen, as verse 22 declares. Look what it says. I said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and by, may labor by day. So you've had people who, some are, are, are shoveling, they're, they're doing construction, some are using spears, some were the trumpeters, right? They had their own alarm system. I read earlier about Nehemiah with the, this man who was always there, ready with the trumpet, ready. And then there's some who are doing night, night watchmen. Unless you think that, that the security deal, detail at night was for the lesser lights, everybody was to participate, including Nehemiah. Look what it says in verse 23. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Did you catch that? There's no distinction between Nehemiah and his family, and his companions, and his servants. In a world where many leaders, they live so far above their workers. But Nehemiah didn't. He worked right alongside them. And it's a reminder that everybody has a part to play. And that we must all be ready for attack. 
Now, the attacks that come won't be usually physical attacks for us. That certainly happens around the world today for us Christians. But the greatest attack and the real enemy in your life is Satan. Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities in the high place. And so we need to put on the full armor of God. We need to every day say, God, I'm going to trust you to protect me. And how do we apply this to our lives when we face our own spiritual dangers at work? Especially those that are eternity-threatening. Well, here's what we must do. We must keep praying. We must keep praying. We must continue to not think about ourselves, but we need to protect others and, and care for others. And we need to be productive. We need to keep working. So who are you praying for at school or at work or at home? Just quietly, just silently between you and God, would you pray for that person right now? Pray for that person. Who are you praying for? Take a moment just to do that. Continuing on the spirit of prayer, how do you need to, who do you need to protect who's vulnerable at work or school? Maybe, maybe there's somebody at your school or work that's being bullied and you need to stand up for them. Pray that God would give you courage. Lift this person up in your, in your mind right now and to God. Pray for them. And then lastly, this question, what do you need to do that, that God's been pressing upon you to be productive? that really will matter for all eternity. We can invest our time in lots of things, lots of things that won't last. You see this at the end of our building, right? It's torn down. But what will last are people as they engage with God and know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's him that I find an inspiration today because he does all of this for us. He fights for us by praying. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you right now? Jesus has been praying for us as a church. Jesus is praying for you as individuals. Hebrews 7.25 says he, he now lives. He's risen from the grave always to make intercession for them. Who's the them? The them is those who draw near to God through him. So Jesus prays, but he also protects he is our rock and refuge. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Do you believe that? Jesus doesn't just pray and protect. He also produces in us an eternal glory. Look at these awesome words, these encouraging words from Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And if you agree, amen. As we officially break ground today, may we remember that Jesus broke the hard ground of our sinful hearts. And in his place, he's built an everlasting peace with God for us. Do you have that peace? Do you have that peace with God? You need to pass that peace to others, share that peace with others. Only by trusting in Jesus will we be able to survive our spiritually dangerous workplaces and more importantly, get his work done for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. God, we know that we will be ineffective and unproductive 
for things that really matter for all eternity if we do not know your son Jesus. And we realize that it's all or nothing. Did Jesus rise from the grave or not? But Lord, we say yes to that today. And Lord, I pray that every heart here would, would truly believe in this Jesus who's risen from the grave for them, who loves them. He is our cornerstone. He's the rock of our life. And we pray in his name. And God's people said, amen.